Hey everyone, my name is Nick Wignall, and you're listening to the Minds and Mics podcast. On this show, I talk with experts in the fields of psychology, behavioral science, and human potential, and try to see the world through their eyes. How do they think differently about topics as diverse as addiction and mindfulness to parenting and motivation? What do they know that most of us don't? And what can we learn from them to improve our own lives in practical, meaningful ways? Today, I'm talking with professional mindfulness coach, Darren Larson. In this conversation, we try to unpack and demystify the idea of mindfulness. What is it really? What are the common misconceptions about it? And what does it actually mean to be more mindful? Whether you want to get started incorporating mindfulness into your life, or are just curious to learn more about this increasingly trendy but often misunderstood topic, I think you'll really enjoy this discussion. Darren Larson, welcome to the show. Hey, Nick. I'm happy to be here. Excited. I'm really excited to have you. How would you explain mindfulness to an eight-year-old? I love it. Um, I actually <laughs> I think I that is the curveball right here. That, but. <laughs> that is the, but that is actually probably the task, whether we realize it or not. Uh, an eight-year-old is going to pick it up quicker. Because what I would say to an eight-year-old, I would never probably even use the word mindfulness. But if I was trying to convey what mindfulness is to an eight-year-old, I would say it has to do with paying attention to ordinary things through their senses. So I would say, isn't it interesting how there's maybe sounds happening in the background that we don't even notice until we start to look for them? Can you find a sound? Can you hear something that you didn't notice a minute ago? That kind of thing. I would, as quickly as possible, engage them in um discovering for themselves through their senses what it's like to shift your attention on purpose to something that has been in the background and to make that uh, sort of like a selective attention exercise um and i can kind of predict these in as i'm thinking about doing that that children are going to willingly play along and be delighted by the discovery wow wait that sound was there before i didn't notice it adults have to be convinced why should i you know why should i bother why i'm busy (laughs) um but i I think kids take to it so then it goes from there to it could be depending on the kid um uh, any sensory experience and getting them to realize isn't it cool that we can see things and hear things and feel things in our body that um So treating it more like a game, I wonder what would happen if I paid closer attention to things that didn't always demand my attention. Um, And that's where I'd start. Yeah, I love it. Um, So where, where would you go with that? If let's sort of switch the hypothetical up to now you're talking to a 28 year old, right? Mm. Who most likely has heard of mindfulness. Maybe they've even downloaded a mindfulness app on their phone or a therapist or a family member has kind of brought it up. So someone who's got kind of a vague idea of it, would, would your strategy change at all? Would it be the same? Would, you, would your approach be different? So I would probably, if it was just cold and I had a fresh slate, you know, someone to work with who was just, just newly curious, uh, I would take one direction and that would be something about um, how there's ways to exercise our attention to change how we relate to our thoughts and feelings and other people. But if it was someone who was coming to it from, I've tried this book, I've tried this app, I'm not sure I'm doing it right. 
I would start with something like um, considering that mindfulness is more than the marketing that you've been encountering. So it's easy to um, mistake the benefits of mindfulness as something that the exercises should quickly feel like. So let's say the people on the covers of the magazines always look so relaxed and the emphasis tends to be on breath awareness and relax and feel your breath. And maybe there's flute music and there's water. Um, you know, if you've, if you've been exposed to things like even getting a massage or going to a yoga class, there's all these trappings. And I would try to steer them into considering that mindfulness is much bigger than those trappings that not only does it include paying attention, like not only does it include relaxation or the possibility of the mind settling, that it also includes inhabiting your life fully regardless of the conditions of circumstances. So maybe you could be mindful of being uncomfortable or so like if we come back to the fact that they're a 28 year old, they're, what's their concerns? Maybe there's work frustration or relationship challenge um, what if there's a way to engage your senses more fully, not needing everything to be comfortable, but that you could, um, more fully experience, like become a better listener, um, choose your words more carefully when you're arguing with someone you care about, or maybe focus more at work instead of feeling like you're being yanked around by things that are pulling your attention, like social media, things that are more interesting, maybe immediately than the work you're doing. So that something like that approach to get them to expand the definition of this, not just being relaxation. Yeah. And I like that kind of, I like that word you use trappings because there's so many trappings so when it comes many. to mindfulness and, and, and also that they, they tend to fall on the lines of the, the benefits of mindfulness, yep. um, which you, what you're, one of the things I'm hearing you say is sort of distinguishing that from the, act of mindfulness and like what mindfulness is that's it's different necessarily than what you hope to or may actually get as a result of doing it but you i want to if it's okay i want to talk about this word attention that you brought up a little bit that's it's one of those words i think that everybody basically knows what attention is but almost no one could define it very well yeah yeah right (laughs) i think even experts have a hard time totally yeah absolutely so so when you say mindfulness is really it's bigger than just being relaxed or peace of mind. Um, it's it, somehow it's very fundamentally connected to our capacity for attention and to pay attention. So could you talk a little bit more about that, about attention and how it relates to mindfulness? Yeah, I think that if we start to observe ourselves and observe how we pay attention, there's lots of ways we can explore this. But I like to think of attention as a natural capacity that everybody has. So I like to start by even if I have a group of people who are new, I like to try to convince them that they're already mindful, uh, which means kind of demystifying what it even is. So if, we talk, if we're talking about the ability to pay attention, everybody can pay attention. But it's, if we reflect, if we observe ourselves, we can notice that there are lots of habits we have related to our attention we have a lot of habits for if something is frustrating, for example, I got a printer warming up here. I'm going to, okay. Um, so 
there's lots of ways to observe our, our own attention and to get more familiar with it. And one way is to notice how we habitually pay attention when the conditions are comfortable, um, Friday evening, weekends, vacations, um, um, enjoying something, a meal we enjoy. Are you able to really give it your full attention or something close to full attention? Or is it something that we, what we tend to do is notice the habits we have for undercutting or undermining things we enjoy? I've planned on this vacation and I'm walking on the beach, but I'm sort of nervous about being late for dinner and I'm wishing I had picked a different hotel and maybe next vacation I'll take four days instead of three days. And I miss that I'm walking on the beach that I was hoping was going to be so relaxing, <laughs> right? right. Uh, so there's that. And then I think that, that people never come to seek me out because they aren't maximizing pleasant circumstances. They seek out a mindfulness coach for how they're relating to discomfort, physical discomfort, emotional discomfort, uncertainty, you know, having a, having a decision to make and not knowing which decision to go with, uh, trouble being alert in the middle of the night and wish, wishing they were asleep, those kinds of things. And so we have lots of habits for how do we react when the situation is uncomfortable. And there's a lot of thoughts. We have a lot of thought patterns. We have a lot of behaviors, things we eat, like eating a pint of Ben and Jerry's to soothe uh, sadness or loneliness uh, would be an example. So we start to catch ourselves, where does my attention go when I'm bumping up against a challenge? I can kind of watch myself. So I think and that's, one, that's certainly one way to think about attention by the habits that we have. I want to talk about, so we've talked about what mindfulness is kind of generally, both conceptually, but then also with specific examples. But let's, the other thing that comes up for people when they hear the term mindfulness, I think, is a mindfulness practice or mindfulness meditation. Mm. So how, talk to me about the, like, what is, what is mindfulness meditation? Mm, yeah. So if we think of mindfulness as being a way of it's a, it's a way to develop, I think of it as a way to develop certain attentional capacities. So thinking of certain, there's certain aspects of attention that get, get stronger with exercise. Um, and then if you think of there being a continuum of different kind of levels or commitment levels or, or how formal the exercise is. I, I, so I love to use physical exercise as my analogy for almost everything mindfulness <laughs> related. So if we think about, if you think about uh, physical fitness, that you could um, just start getting more steps in every day or shooting for that, right? It could be something as simple as I'm going to get up from my chair more often, or I'm going to, um, when I walk the dog, I'm going to go one more block than I need, than we need to, because I'm, I'm treating, I'm going to turn this ordinary thing into an opportunity to get sneak a little bit more 
um, physical exercise in, right? You don't have to go oh. do CrossFit for an hour. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Oh, you away. could, and, and yeah, you could do CrossFit, right? So you could do CrossFit or you could sign up for a soccer team or you could, you know, get a personal trainer and do something tailored to fit your needs that challenges you. And you can go all the way. You can take it as far as you, as like you could train for a marathon. So that whole continuum it's, it's an example of where would we say someone is exploring physical fitness or who is exercising? And I would say they all are. And I, I, I mean that, right? We mean that. I mean that. Um, if someone is not exercising and they want to start exercising, please come at any of these levels. In fact, I would say come at a level that's sustainable and then let that build and grow over time so that you have room to challenge yourself, right? You don't have to start. You don't start by running a marathon usually, right? But, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, depending on how old you are, maybe you could get away with it when you're younger. But, and so with so with mindfulness, really mindfulness is paying attention on purpose, right? Changing how you relate to um, ordinary moments. Um, there's a lot of things I could say about that, but let's stay. Yeah, so, so one example of kind of basic mindfulness practice is you could just every, you know, if you have a daily meeting at work, you could really try for the first five minutes to really just pay attention to what the presenter is talking about without totally. kind of letting your mind wander. And totally. And I would even say that's a step up from as far. I go so far as to say, if you try, if you try to decide what to notice, more than never you're in the club and like for gotcha. like more than more than zero seconds most days that counts because what happened what what you realize why that counts is because it's really easy to not ever decide what to notice and just to have your attention be pulled by chance by circumstance by habit right so even so i would say Deciding to notice a sound for a handful of seconds, you're exercising. You're you're doing mindfulness practice. You're a mi- you're a mindfulness practitioner <laughs> now. Now, like you know, one push up isn't gonna be a physical fitness plan, but ten push ups every other day or three sets of ten, you're you're you we're going now, right? So consistency matters, but any level counts. And what one of the reasons I'd like to say this is that it's easy, like when I'm giving my bio, my meditation biography, I usually start at the silent retreat I went on in September 2002. But the real truth is I dabbled for years before that. And, uh, right. And I even As every e- honest mindfulness practitioner will tell you, <laughs> <laughs> right. Because it's, it's something like you have to, you have to ease into on at your own uh, time. It's really so personal and right. And there's lots of factors that can determine when you're ready to push that. Just like with physical exercise, people, you know, are motivated to exercise their body because they're frustrated with some aspect of their health or the way they look in the mirror that it motivates them. I got to start doing something different here. Very similar. Um, you, people often get frustrated with how they're relating to themselves or their lives and are looking for something to change that. So we can change that by starting to pause more than never, or we can start like your, I I love your example of 
taking an ordinary activity like a meeting at work and deciding I'm going to at least occasionally notice what it's like to hear the sounds in this room or feel my legs as I'm sitting in this chair. Um, uh, and then all the way up to, so all, so all meditation, mindfulness meditation, and that's another tricky thing is when you say meditation, you can be talking about a lot of different forms of meditation, but mindfulness meditation is specifically doing something to engage your, your attention or um, to, I, I think of it as most often based on some kind of sensory awareness, deciding some category of, sen- of sensation to track, or this is the language, it's tricky here, but if we're going to be really accurate, um, some perception to notice, because it could include what it's like to see what's right in front of my eyes, hear sounds around me, feel sensations in my body. But I also could include, if I want, observing myself thinking in words or pictures or both, or having an emotional reaction to things. So uh, yeah, so so mindfulness meditation is simply deciding for a set period of time, two minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes, whatever, what the, the period of the duration doesn't matter. It's a, it becomes meditation in that you've decided what to notice, what category of sensation to observe. And to the best of your ability, you're going you're gonna to keep coming back to that exploration for X minutes. And usually I think to me, it's like, a timer needs to be involved because anybody who tries to do it without a timer, they are going to decide to stop because you, you, as everyone knows, when you, when you try, um, it seems like anything would be more appealing than that. Right. <laughs> it, it almost sounds like what you're saying is, is sort of like going back to the exercise analogy. We, we can all be sort of more active um, in our physical lives. You know, like you were saying, we can, we can take the stairs instead of taking the elevator. We can take a longer walk. We can, we can do all these things in kind of ordinary life. But then sometimes, at least for some of us at some point, we decide, okay, I'm going to go to the gym and run on the treadmill for 30 minutes. Exactly. And, and it's, exactly. it's not better necessarily, but it, it's in some ways, it's a more concentrated version of that exercise. Yes. And the, exactly. It's a, it's a, one of my favorite examples is that I'm not hopping up on that treadmill to be good at running on the treadmill. And really ultimately when I'm running outside, I'm not being, I'm not doing it to get good at running outside. I'm not competing for the Olympics. Uh, I don't have a time. I don't really necessarily have, even if I have a personal time goal, it's not that important to me. What I'm doing is trying to trick my body, trick myself into moving my body. Because if I exercise, I have more vitality. I have more physical endurance and strength. So yeah, it's exactly it. And the thing with mindfulness is the formal meditation time, like upping your game in that way, if you choose, is actually then going to support all the other efforts, all the other shorter duration efforts so that you're going to find by doing timed formal practice, it's going to really help you maximize those pauses throughout the day. Taste your food, feel the boredom in a meeting, um, listen to your friend uh, tell a, a story that's hard to hear. All that is going to be enhanced by the attention building capacity that you're getting through timed practice. I love that. I think that's such an underappreciated part of mindfulness generally is the inter like relatedness of kind of more 
casual or ordinary mindfulness and more formal mindfulness practice and how self-supporting they are. Like you get being better in one will improve your ability in the other one and the other one being better in the other one will improve your ability in the first. And so it's a big mistake. I, I don't know if you see this, but people get overly focused on, I just need to sit on my yoga mat and pay attention to my breath totally. for 20 minutes once a day. And they yeah. totally ignore being mindful in their ordinary life yep. at all. Oh my gosh. And then they yeah, exactly. Why it's not working. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or I, th- and then the other part why I th- where I thought you were going to say too is, um, oh, I'm really stressed out. I need to go do mindfulness. <laughs> and it's like, I think of that as someone asks me, hey, we're going to move. I need, to, we're going to move this weekend. Can you help? I said, well, I, let me go run over to the gym and get stronger and I'll be over. I'll be right over. <laughs> right. It's the, it's too late. Um, I love Ellen Langer's approach and she doesn't get quoted enough, I don't think, but in the mindfulness discussions, but she talks about meditation is just practice for being more mindful in the future. Uh, and that's what I'm really into. In fact, uh, that helps because what often will someone will try to practice mindfulness and give up because they find the formal practice challenging and not realizing that the formal practice is setting them up to engage more fully in the midst of their life, which is the real point. Uh, so we're practicing, we're, we're honing a capacity, a skill that's going to enable us to realize we can shift our attention in the midst of, you know, I would say, I think it's two things to help us savor pleasant moments more and to fight less internally, have less internal friction in those challenging and inevitable, inevitably challenging moments that are a part of an ordinary life. Yeah. So I want to, I want to get back to this idea of kind of a mindfulness practice. And cause I think, I think a lot of people have very specific questions about this, but, but just to kind of review where, where we've been so far is mindfulness has a lot to do with awareness and tension and being a good kind of steward of your attention yeah. and, and becoming more skillful at managing your attention, focusing yeah. on one thing, not on other things or shifting your attention from one thing to another. And then mindfulness meditation or mindfulness practice is like the exercise that facilitates that or strengthens that muscle that allows you to be a better manager of your attention, which is so helpful for everything from being a compassionate, good listener with a friend or disengaging from worry, you know, when you're stuck in kind of a worry spiral or trying to fall asleep at night or, or focusing on the big project you have to finish up in, you know, in an hour. Um, right. All of that requires this a strong attentional muscle that, that you're adept at sort of managing well. Yes, absolutely. Now, in the middle of these interviews, I like to take a little halftime break okay. um, and ask some more lighthearted, but perhaps not less significant questions. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> so feel free to pass on any question if you want. Okay. Um, oh boy, I'm nervous. Oh, it's not that big a deal. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in Columbus, Ohio for a night. Where should I eat? Ooh. Oh, so I'm terrible at favorites, but I can just give you, um, because favorites, I, it's, I, I don't know why I'm always, I, I don't like to commit to one thing, <laughs> but if you had one night to eat in Columbus, Ohio, well, I'm going to say something well, like crap. You're going to edit all this hemming and hawing, right? <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> okay. Got it. Um, okay. So you're in Columbus, Ohio one night. 
I would go to a place called uh, Giuseppe's in Bexley, which is Italian food. And the reason is because it, the uh, it's like it tastes so homemade. I want to. I hope I'm getting this right that the chef is from Sicily, but you really feel like you're getting the real thing there and it also has a personal significance i've had some you know personal celebrations there so it's personal for that reason but i think you'd also be surprised that there's a lot of good uh eating options here in columbus mm. but let's go with giuseppe's yeah. what's a really good book you've read recently doesn't have to be related to mindfulness or <laughs> well i just started reading uh, after listening to this american life which you know listening to podcasts it's almost like you just collect Sure. I collect library books and things, but the book of delights by Ross Gay, I'm thoroughly enjoying. I'm just, just starting to get into it, but I love it that he's writing about something. He was, he was shooting for like every day to write one thing that brought delight. So it's really delicious to, to uh, I'm having him read it to me in my, you know, through my audible. So I get to, I like to see it. I like to see it and hear it. I feel like it's an indulgence I really enjoy right now. So hearing about his delights really contagious and has me on the lookout for savoring small things. Okay, so a little section here called overrated or underrated. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you ready? Yeah, okay. LeBron James. Oh, I'm not a sports guy, but I will say probably underrated because I he just seems like a good guy. Mindfulness apps. Oh, overrated. Do I have to say why? You can say why. Yeah. I'm excited. I'm so thrilled they exist, but they, it's a danger. Two things. They can be such a cul-de-sac because I, I want people to realize that they don't need the app. So when I'm working with people, I encourage them to you please, please use the mindfulness apps with the idea of not needing to use them. Um, so use the features where you can try it on silent. Practice what some listen to someone guide you and then practice what you learned. Like wean yourself off. Um, th be thinking about weaning yourself off as you go. The other thing I, I, that gives me pause is that it's such a competition for market share right now because since, you know, since Headspace was so successful and it's earned, they deserve that. They deserve all of that. But now there's such a competition that I'm afraid it's um, getting watered down to digestible, you know, the competitors, right? Everyone's trying to take away some of that market share. And the emphasis is on you know, five or 10 minutes of relaxation. That's a, that's an understatement. And I know there's a lot of really good intention behind a lot of these things, but it's really easy to, I think, when using the apps, not go outside your comfort zone and not realize how liberating it can be to get better at feeling uncomfortable. So if you're going to use the apps, think about leveraging whatever is in there that encourages you to realize you can notice something uncomfortable and get better at that. So self-help books. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, my, my nightmare is that I will finally have write, write a book and that will be classified as self-help. And I <laughs> would, that would be my nightmare um, because I don't think mindfulness is self-help. Um, and I, but I think it's easy to blur those lines. I have to say I've gotten a lot out of self-help books, but over the years I try to be real discriminating about 
uh, is there something practical and doable or am I just entertaining myself with the ideas, right? Uh, sometimes the ideals, ideas can be so, um, they can resonate so much, but it reminds me of, um, I'm never going to get better at the piano if I don't practice. So if there's not something here for me to start digging into, then, then I'm just entertaining myself. Um, yeah. We, I think, initially connected over Twitter, um, yeah. So social media overrated or underrated? Totally overrated. It's, uh, I, the, okay. The good thing, and the, and I think your example of this for, for me is, uh, well, there's a couple of things. It's, it's an, it feels inevitable right now. I don't know if it will always be, but if you're going to reach an audience in 2020, You've got to cultivate some kind of a presence somewhere in some some social media channel. I think, at least I think so. Uh, but if you're going to do that, you're going to have to be very intentional about how you go about it. And so, what I think the opportunity, the often missed opportunity, is to consider social media as just another part of your life. It's a it's bring your character to your social media, meaning use some restraint and use some intention and. Uh, I, what I love about Twitter is it responds to cultivation. So I can choose to follow people who have really um, interesting or thought provoking ideas. Uh, and I can practice uh, feeling uncomfortable in response to some of the mean content that's out there. I think there's a, a much more abundance of really mean stuff and I can practice not engaging in it and sort of trying to let that be in the periphery, uh, which is really tricky. I think it's a high level challenge. Okay. Let's, we're going to get into our, um, our last kind of segment um, okay. of this conversation. And I want to gear this segment towards, okay, we've got some people who, who are listening and they're thinking, yeah, okay, this is some interesting stuff. This is some stuff I, I haven't really thought about mindfulness in this way. And I've been wanting to kind of get more involved with mindfulness, but I've been like sort of on the fence. And so that's kind of who I want to, I want to talk to specifically in this, in this segment. Um, but let's, so let's leave that off though. You, you've had, it's from what I know, you've had a pretty consistent daily mindfulness practice for what, 20 years? Well, it's like uh, September, 2002. So it's about, it's a little over 17 years, I think. Yeah. So tell, just, if you don't mind, tell us a little bit about your mindfulness practice and what's that, what that's like. So it's definitely evolved over the years. And I ha I think it's, again, if you think of someone like someone who's been running for 20 years, they've had to mix it up and keep it interesting for themselves. And so I've been very fortunate to discover a very multi-sensory, flexible, customizable approach to mindfulness that's heavily influenced by Shenzhen Young. Uh, so it allows me, I think of it as cross-training my attention, meaning I can, uh, practice for different durations and I can subdivide my practice sessions into segments. So I guess the, what I'm trying to say there is I have lots and lots of options for what to notice. And I love to mix and match those options. Um, 
I think that's much, such a wonderful thing for, for people to hear. Because <laughs> uh, yeah. I think a lot of people think about, oh, I got to start a mindfulness practice. It means I got to like sit on my yoga mat for 30 minutes every morning at 5 a.m. Yeah, paying exactly. attention to my breath. Like, ugh. <laughs> yeah. No, I think it it's like, um, it's actually fascinating to, I feel, I feel like, yeah, you know, eventually your practice needs to feel fascinating or else it's not going to be sustainable it needs to it needs to um, set the stage for wonder like oh my gosh like I, I I think it's pretty common for me to be thinking wait a minute I can hear sounds <laughs> right <laughs> like like that is amazing and it, maybe it's because I'm getting older my eyes are getting blurry and my ears are starting to lose some of their higher ranges and so I feel like I'm I it's there that plus my mindfulness practice it's amazing it's amazing to me i can think about stuff or you know my grandma donna can pop up into my mind and i can feel emotional warmth what that's amazing right so so how how i think it um like how i go about my daily practice is maybe i'll think about certain themes to explore for like a week or a month so maybe I want to explore restful states, restful sensations. So I'll either set a timer for, let's say, I don't know if you want to know specifics, but yeah. I, I mean, I hesitate to say specifics because I'm talking We're about not. this. Okay. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll share, but with the caveat that I'm not saying this is what anybody should do, but I want people to know that there's lots of options. So let's say whether I'm sitting for 20 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour, Maybe I'll have a whole practice period where I'm just exploring one theme like relaxation in my body or the restfulness of my visual experience, which could be that my eyelids are closed and I'm just noticing the darkness there or noticing silence around me, for example. So there's lots of different ways I could say, okay, I, I'm going to feel rest or I'm going to explore visual auditory and somatic rest today so what in your experience you you work with a lot of people who want to um, practice more mindfulness who want to establish a practice in some form or another w what do you see as kind of the biggest or, or maybe a couple of the biggest obstacles that people commonly report to you well i think the danger is when you practice by yourself um, and even with most of the apps it's really easy to misinterpret your experience and to be con convinced you're doing it wrong. So even when I'm starting to work with someone, it's like with the initial hurdle is that they, I tried it, but I must be doing it wrong because I can't stop thinking something like this, or, you know, they don't find it relaxing at all. So I spend a lot of time trying to clarify what the expectations that people, help. I think what I think of it is I'm helping people interpret their experience of the exercises and I'm encouraging them to practice consistently enough. And that could just mean more than zero minutes a day, or it could mean five or 10 minutes, whatever, starting out uh, most days, but emphasizing the consistency and reminding them that it's not about when you're exercising, it's not about 
having to necessarily be relaxed. That's kind of funny sounding like I have just talked about the theme of restfulness, <laughs> but that's, but again, that's just one theme. We could talk for a long time about all the various themes of active states or states noticing sensations that seem dynamic or moving and fluctuating. So we've got lots of options to work with, but. Yeah. Sometimes I, I, I think about yeah. if you, you know, if you were to walk out of the gym and, and you were to say, Oh, my legs are kind of sore and I'm sweaty and I'm a little bit out of breath. Like, man, I, I must not have done it right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Or even while you're doing it, like, why am I on this treadmill or why yeah. am I, do I have to, how many more of these do I, am I supposed to do? Because I go into the gym, let's say I'm going to go lift weights. I'm coming here to get stronger. And I, in the middle of it, I feel weaker. I'm fatigued. I can't do one more repetition. That's not stronger. But we all know, we are much more familiar with the language of physical fitness that we know, oh, fatiguing, challenging the muscle is what makes it stronger. (laughs) Stretching the muscle makes it more flexible. Holding that stretch for 30 seconds is going to eventually lead to increased range of motion. But the exercise doesn't feel like what you're wanting to get out of the exercise. And when I do a mindfulness exercise, and no matter what you choose to notice, the things that you've decided to allow to be in the background are going to do, they're going to campaign against you and they're going to try to get your attention. And, and so see if this is useful. I tell people, and this is so such a hard message to get through. So let's try it with people. Um, there's two ways to strengthen your attention when you're doing a mindfulness. There's two kinds of repetitions that are capacity building when it comes to the like concentration type exercises. One is to rest your attention on the thing that you've decided to notice, right? So I've decided to feel my exhale. And from the beginning to the end of that exhale, I'm really there with all, I'm really tuning into the physical sensations. Great. Good job. You did it. You nailed it. One repetition, check mark. You did it, right? The other thing that can happen that is equally beneficial, (laughs) equally, this is not the lesser, this is equal. You realize your attention has wandered off and you gently steer it back to the thing you had decided to notice equally beneficial right so this is a this is a no lose game that feels like a no win game to people and my job is to try to convince you that it is a no lose if you think you're losing there's a misunderstanding we've i i have failed to communicate to you or you have not yet tasted it for yourself that there's no way to lose because we're ta- we're not talking about relaxation we're talking about getting intimately familiar with what it's like to be alive. And the doorway to that is by noticing your ordinary sensory experiences and perceptions. Yeah, you know, Darren, it's, it's one of the reasons I really, I think, resonate with with the way you talk about mindfulness is that it, it you seem to be very even-handed with the what I think is just the nature of mindfulness, which is that it, in equal parts it is it is tough in a lot of ways and it, it is a stretch. It, it, it causes us to grow and that can be really uncomfortable, but then it, it can also be really delightful and really pleasurable even totally. at the same time. Right. Totally. And those two things are not, you, you can't put those in boxes. They're, they're not, it's not all about one or the, it's not about feeling super relaxed or it's not about, you know, like 
effortfully, you know, kind of like masochistically, you know, put yeah. yourself through the ringer. Um, it, both of those things are all, that's all part of mindfulness. Right. It's uh, a, it's a much normal. messier game than we act like it or that it, what we assume from the outside. Um, one thing I, Oh gosh, I have so many things I want to say to you. One thing I, I've been saying lately, I'm trying to encourage people when you see the picture of someone meditating, I think what we go to is, oh, it must be so nice to be that relaxed. I bet they their mind is completely calm. I would like, I encourage people, you see the picture of someone meditating and they look serene. I would like you to try to imagine that is anything but serene inside their <laughs> subjective experience. And I don't care if they've been practicing for two weeks or 30 years, that there is no way to know what they're experiencing. And the only difference between an experienced meditator and a beginner is that no matter what is happening in the experienced meditator, they have practiced ways of relating. So their thoughts could be all over the board, but they're relating to it as, oh, this is what it's like to be alive right now. There's lots of thoughts and lots of feeling. And that means I'm alive. <laughs> and... I, I remember listening to a great podcast interview with Robert Greene, the, the author of, he's, he wrote these books like the 48 Laws of Power and this kind of thing. But he was talking about his meditation experience. And he, this one line jumped out at me and I, it's, it was early on in my own meditation practice, uh, my own mindfulness practice. And it's really stuck with me and be really helpful. But he, he talked about, and he's been doing this, he's been doing it for 20 years or something, you know, like, yeah. like you, like decades, basically. And he said, it's a small miracle if I go more than 10 seconds without getting distracted in the middle oh, yeah. of my meditation yeah. practices. And then he said, the, the only difference is between now and when I first started is that I'm far gentler with myself when that happens than I was at the beginning. And I think that speaks to you, like your idea of it's more about how you relate to what happens than what happens itself. Well, and if you think about what we were talking about earlier, if the point is how am I going to inhabit my life? Because it's going to be, my life's going to be hard today, tomorrow. It's going to, there's going to be difficult moments. How am I going to, am I going to constantly be um, trying to escape, you know, through my imagination or whatever? Or am I going to equip myself to be ready for it to be hard? And so if, if I'm, you know, it just reminds me of with physical exercise, we know that it's, you're going to have to get better at being uncomfortable if you're going to exercise your body in any kind of a consistent way, no matter what you choose, right? It's going to, you're going to bump into some discomfort and, you know, there's a, there's a healthy range of what that discomfort, you have to learn what's that, what's the discomfort that means I'm, I'm challenging myself as opposed to harming myself, right? So there's, there's something to think about there, but I, so my stance is everybody is already exercising their attention. They just don't have a plan. They don't have, they have never sat down and thought about what's their plan. So by default, if you don't have a plan, I can tell you what the plan is. The plan is um, if I'm comfortable, how do I make it better? How do I make it last? How do I make it longer? How do I make it deeper? Um, how do I get more of it, right? If I'm uncomfortable, how do I get rid of that discomfort? How do I get rid of physical discomfort, emotional discomfort, or uncertainty? And so what happens is every day, everyone is practicing their habits of relating to what's happening moment by moment by either um, trying to make it better if it's good and trying to, trying to fix it if it's not. 
And what you end up with is really powerful ability to not notice <laughs> that your life is messy. And actually, I, I guess the danger, I think, is we're constantly waiting for a better version to come like this. I have this idealized version. My life is going to look like this someday, someday. Um, and we sort of accidentally train ourselves to constantly fight with what's happening moment by moment instead of realizing, wait, this is my life. <laughs> my life has frustration and red lights and annoying coworkers and um, remarkable sunsets, right? And music, how is it possible that someone wrote this song 300 years ago and this symphony is performing it and my body is just coming alive with emotional reaction? It's like, it's like, it's met, I think the thing is life is so messy, but if we're not careful, we're waiting for some version of life that we, that we think is going to be more comfortable. This is where I call, um, I call it, um, I'm not trying to be happy all the time. That is not my aim. I'm trying to relate to what's happening as it is with less, like with less internal friction so that I stop waiting for my life to come someday and say, what would it be like to inhabit this moment more fully? What would it be like to feel more at home in this set of circumstances? Most of which are, are, are circumstances I, I haven't chosen or are not in my control, right? Um, and it's, it's a liberating way to go about life as opposed to postponing I'm gonna li- I'm gonna feel at home in my life someday when these conditions are met. Um, and instead, it's like, how about starting right now, right now, and starting to make a habit of um, finding what little shifts can I make inside to consider this moment as much a part of my life as any other as any other moment, and just see what happens with that when that starts to become. Um, when it starts to spread an influence into different corners of your ordinary life. So over the years, is, can you think of anything significant that you've really changed your mind about when it comes to mindfulness? Oh, I think starting out, I thought that more esoteric spiritual things would be revealed. And if I understood this word or this term, or if I... I think I thought there was some more mysterious things that were going to happen. And I've been sort of startled to discover how um, it seems more like the opposite. Uh, It's more like instead of waiting for a peak experience, it's more like mining the ordinary is where the magic happens. Um, so in that way, like I, I, I don't even love the word spiritual because I feel like when my experience of what I think other people are calling spiritual, I would say it's more deeply and deeply human. It feels so human and natural and yet richer than I expected. Uh, I think it's something to do with we have these uh, ideas in our mind about what something's going to be like. 
Um, but the lived experience, I think, starts to become richer than we can imagine. And then that's a trap for a mindfulness teacher because I find that I'm spending, I spend a lot of my time trying to convince people of something that there's no way you can convince them. You can only maybe seduce them into exploring for themselves. I can't tell, I can't tell anybody what it's like to have a richer experience of an ordinary sensation. They're going to have to, um, I, I would say, prove, you know, prove me, try to pr prove me wrong, <laughs> you know, cultivate your attention and see if you don't, if it doesn't blow you away. Um, something else though, I think, you know, I think when I started out, I had more of, um, an idealized sense of, um, some of those trappings that I was cautioning about earlier and that somehow people, there must be someone out there who's better at it than me, or somehow they've been tapped or sanctioned, or maybe they know more terminology. Um, or maybe, I guess one of the things, let's just, this is one I think I forget to mention, is I kind of thought I had to be a, a Buddhist and a vegetarian to do it, and I, that I would maybe eventually become those things. And I have so not become either of those things, right? I have not, I don't identify at all as Buddhist. And I actually think it's a huge blind spot to keep um, insisting that training your attention is, a, is an innately Buddhist pursuit. I, I think of myself actually, this is a job title I don't often give out, but it's what I secretly think I am. I'm a, a freelance contemplative um, meaning that I'm willing to learn from anybody, from any, if any religious tradition has a contemplative practice, but not only that, uh, poets and artists and uh, musicians, I think it's, we're surrounded by people trying to get us to pay closer attention to what's happening right now. What's it feel like to be alive and all the messiness of that. Um, so, I think the world is going to discover just the way that push-ups aren't owned by athletes or soldiers. Push-ups something anyone can do. It's human. And cultivating attention is something anyone can do. And you don't have to change your worldview to change how you relate to your own thoughts and feelings and the experience of being alive. Okay, last question. So someone's yeah. listening to all this and they're, they're um, definitely, you've got their curiosity peaked and they're even kind of excited, excited and they're, they're motivated. They're thinking, okay, I'm, this is the time I'm actually going to start. Um, I'm going to do it. I'm not just going to think about it. Um, how, do you have any just practical like tips for like, where should people start? Should they read a good book about it? Should they go to a class? Should they download an app? Should they, you know, like what, What's, what's just a really practical first step for someone who wants to get started with practicing mindfulness? So one tip I was given early on, uh, my first retreat that really served me was to, whatever you do, practice more than reading about it or, um, right? So it's really easy to substitute reading and thinking for the actual doing. So when in doubt, practice. Uh, yeah, it's also really helpful. The books can be helpful. The apps can be really helpful. Um, I'm actually on, I mean, I'm on an app or two. I'm on BrightMind and Insight Timer. So I can't, I, I should have said that earlier on the app segment, but um, 
the apps can be really helpful, but back to what I said there, you know, think about that as a tool that's empowering you over time. And whether that's, mm, you know, I think that mindfulness practice is like kind of a, once you get a taste of it, it's kind of the rest of your life kind of thing. So number one, there's no real rush. Um, I would say, I would say, I would say this, think about, are you interested in getting better at savoring pleasant moments more or, or fighting with yourself less in unpleasant moments or both? Right. So think about that actually. And if for now you just want to savor pleasant moments more, oh my gosh, there's so much material out there. So go out there and find experiment, find out what works for you and give yourself full permission to adapt any exercise to fit your interests and your needs. So if, so it could be something that you already enjoy listening to music, but you find yourself getting more distracted these days, come back to music and see if you can bring your attention back again and again to the to the sounds and your emotional reactions to them. So you could make a little project. It doesn't have to be arduous, right? Um, it could be anything. If you enjoy cooking, then turn, you know, allocate at least some of your time when you're cooking to seeing if you can savor the sensory aspects of what it's like to prepare and eat a meal or maybe make a meal for other people. So there's something like that. So find what you already are, what you already enjoy and just kind of secretly practice honing your capacity for really savoring it more. And if you're interested in either including discomfort as part of it, I mean, you don't have to look very far. It could be finding something that gives you kind of a mild, unpleasant reaction that could be boring meetings or um, the news. It could be something as simple as exposing yourself to something that tends to trigger trigger a lot of... um, you know, I would say moderate, (laughs) trigger some kind of a moderate, uh, unpleasant reaction and just give yourself five minutes to feel what you feel. This is something I think it's probably, it's kind of, it's a hard sell, but these practices tend to come from monasteries, but we don't live in monasteries. I don't live in a monastery. (laughs) So the idea of um, having to practice feeling your breath in a silent room is great if you're going to live in a monastery. But I live in a world that's constantly trying to pull my attention through social media and news and politics. So what if my practice was something like taking five minutes to listen to a news program with my eyes closed and just feeling what it feels like to let that wash over me, but acknowledge for those five minutes, I don't need to try to fix it or or um, solve the world. I'm just going to see what it feels like to take that content in. Um, I said that's, that's a challenging one. <laughs> that's a challenging well, well, one. One of my favorites that's like similar to that, but I think maybe a little easier is I I love to do mindful music listening. It sounds yeah. funny, but I will just I've got this nice pair of kind of fancy headphones, um, and I will just I have this little Spotify playlist of like my favorite songs, and I'll just pick one. And I'll plug in my headphones, I'll close my eyes, and I will just listen to one of my favorite songs and just try to enjoy the experience without thinking about anything else. Just awesome. relish and enjoy listening to one of my favorite songs. Um, and that's such a, it, I, it's just amazing. I always feel 
awesome <laughs> coming out of it. Like, it's not necessarily do you the feel point, like but... that that counts as mindfulness practice? Because absolutely, I, yeah, absolutely. And I, but I feel like that's part of my job is to convince people who don't think it is that it is, right? Um, yeah, absolutely. Well, well and I hope this whole podcast has kind of, if it does nothing else, convince people that that's a perfectly valid way to do mindfulness or to become more mindful and and all the other examples we've talked about that you don't have to um, sit on a mat in a dark cold room exactly i love it and that one other quick like little tip i would say maybe for someone wanting to stick a toe in the water of the discomfort side is you don't have to necessarily create situations that are uncomfortable. You're going to have discomfort, I think, every day, right? I, I do, unless someone tell me what I'm doing wrong if I'm if it doesn't have to be this way. But um, it's like choose like one discomfort a day to sort of like secretly mine for what's it feel like to be frustrated. This is what it feels like to be frustrated. This is what it feels like to be ignored, right? take a five second sample of that emotional response and like most days and see if three, six, nine months a year, you don't start to notice some impact of practicing, allowing yourself to feel something uncomfortable emotionally before you jump into solving it or fixing the world. I think that might be a better um, starting point than, than maybe even listening to the news. <laughs> but, but anyway, I'm, I'm up for, um, tailoring it to fit people's interests um for sure darren this has been awesome thank you so much um where can people go to learn more about you and your work well my name is spelled unusually so i'm very googleable um my name is d-a-r-o-n so darren larson but my webpage is at homeinyourlife.com and that's a pretty good place to find find a lot of my stuff um yeah gotcha All right. Thanks, Darren. All right. Thanks so much, Nick. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Minds and Mics. If you haven't done so already, I'd appreciate it if you took one minute to give us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps out a lot. And if you've already done that, please consider sharing Minds and Mics with a friend or family member you think would enjoy it. As always, thank you for continuing to support the show, and we'll see you next time.